0: This is Made For You by All Souls, a church in Seattle, Washington, seeking to be a community not just for ourselves, but a vibrant expression of who God is, gracious, present, hospitable. Take a moment now to come as you are and bring your attention to God. Well, good afternoon, and a warm welcome to you. If we haven't met, my name is RJ, and I serve as a pastor here. Um, It would be an honor to get to know you, and um, please know that whether you are skeptically exploring who God is, or you're just eager to dive in, uh, this is a place where we value questions and the people who ask them, so welcome. Welcome. Um, I recently got back on LinkedIn as part of our hiring process for the bookkeeper role we are seeking, and it had been a long time since I was on LinkedIn. Uh, According to LinkedIn, I'm still working as a digital communications specialist. According to LinkedIn, I still have hair. (laughs) Uh, I was quickly reminded, though, why I have left my LinkedIn profile uh, to go to the weeds. Um, It was just simply overwhelming (laughs) being on LinkedIn again. And I'm confident, you know, that LinkedIn is a great tool, and it certainly is proving helpful as we're uh, searching for a bookkeeper. But I'm finding that uh, it's kind of like fitting with the rest of social media and the way that uh, it can have this impact on our lives. Because I think today, as modern people, we have unprecedented access to places and experiences and other people that can, in our weaker moments, leave us wishing to be someone else or wishing to be somewhere else and feeling stuck where we are. Has that ever happened to you? <laughs> Have you ever felt that heavy weight as you began to understand what's meant by the term doom scrolling? Our passage today, especially in 1 Corinthians 7, cracks the door to offer us a sliver of light, a way of hope and freedom in the very places we feel most stuck. 1 Corinthians 7 says this, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned them, just as God has called them. This is the rule I lay down in all the churches. So, Um, I've been sitting with that this week and found uh, a translation of this passage really helpful in getting my head around what Paul, the writer of this letter, is trying to say. So get this, the message translation has a helpful way of describing these same verses. Don't be wishing you were someplace else or with someone else. Where you are right now is God's place for you. Live and obey and love and believe right there. God, not your marital status, there were some issues about singleness and marriage happening in the church at the time that Paul's writing this, God, not your marital status, defines your life. Were you Jewish at the time God called you? Don't try and remove the evidence then. Were you non-Jewish when God called you? Well, then don't try and become one. Being Jewish isn't the point. The really important thing is to walk with and follow God. Were you a slave? Even slavery is not a roadblock to obeying and believing. And and Paul clarifies here, and I thought this was like a great way to translate it. I don't mean you are stuck, says the message, message translation, and can't leave. If you have a chance for freedom, go ahead and take it. But here's the point. I'm simply trying to point out that under your new master, you're going to experience a marvelous freedom. (laughs) What the Apostle Paul is trying to tell the Corinthians, and what is desperately good news to us also today, is this. So free are you that you are able to remain where you already are, the circumstances you are already in, as someone who is yet radically free because of your relationship to Jesus Christ. This is important, so don't miss it. Because for us modern people, we are always so focused, are we not, on our circumstances. (laughs) How many times do we complain, like, if I only could get that raise, if I only could get free from this entanglement, if only my family lived closer, if only I could get this illness treated properly? So let's be clear here. Paul's writing not just, you know, about these longings we have. He's not trying to also, uh, like, kind of write off abusive situations. There, there are situations in which your circumstances should and do need to change. That's why Paul says that if you are enslaved and get your freedom, go ahead and take it. But even without a circumstantial change as significant as slavery, something as dramatically free and radical is possible, a freedom so radical that no circumstances can take it away. This is what Paul's trying to say. A heart set free by God is durable in any circumstances. The freedom that comes with being in a restored relationship with the living God who made you and knows you and still loves you, that freedom. Is that radical that nothing about our life's circumstances may change except that God has called to us, has told our hearts in a way we can hear it that He loves us and that we're therefore free? That we are free to be with God. So to trust Christ instead of ourselves, to trust Christ instead of our circumstances, allows us to discover. That a changed heart, a rescued heart, can lead us to having a radically different experience even in the same circumstances, even if nothing changes. So, just to like paint the picture here, let's see what this looks like in a life. Around the year 400, a guy named Patrick was growing up in what is now northeast England. His people were Britons, uh, one of the Celtic people groups that, you know, then populated the British Isles. And Patrick uh, came from an aristocratic family um, who had gone Roman during the the Roman occupation of England. So Patrick, culturally speaking, was as much a Roman as he was Celtic. And his first language was Latin. His, His family, as a part of the Roman Empire at that time, was Christian. His grandpa was a priest. But Patrick was a Christian really in name only at this point in his life. He actually uh, ridiculed clergy, like made fun of them, and was known for his wild side. (laughs) So uh, this is Patrick. But when he was 16, a band of Celtic pirates from Ireland invaded his home. And they captured Patrick and many other young men in his village and forced them on a ship. And they sailed to Ireland and sold these young men into slavery. The pirates sold Patrick to a prosperous tribal chief and druid named Milyuk. And then Miliuk put Patrick to work herding cattle. Patrick lived the next six years of his enslavement among fellow slaves in a bunkhouse, many of whom were also Christians, and herding cattle in the open countryside. And it was during these six years of enslavement when three profound changes happened in Patrick's life. The first was that he began to sense in the seasons, in the creatures he was, you know, caring for, in the nights under the stars, and the ever-present winds that would sweep across the grasslands of Ireland, the presence of God. He identified this presence with the triune God he had heard about and was learning about with his bunkmates. He writes this in his Confessions. More and more, this is Patrick writing at that time, the love and awe of God came to me. So the second change, first was that, you know, he started to discover this creator God. The second change was that Patrick began to understand the Irish Celtic people, their language, their culture, with the kind of intuitive insight that is usually only possible with those who see a culture from its underbelly, right? Right? from a minority perspective, the glories and the warts alike. And in time, the third major change developed. Patrick came to love his captors and to identify with them and to hope for their reconciliation with God. One day, he would feel that they were his people just as much as his own Britons were. So Patrick eventually escaped slavery, and returned home. And he became a priest in a local church there. Uh, But one night in a dream, Patrick heard a call to return to Ireland. The shepherd, once of sheep, would return to be a shepherd of people. Ordained for this work, Patrick became history's first missionary bishop and set out for Ireland, where he is celebrated to this day for the way he so clearly, knowingly, lovingly invited his enslavers to discover the freedom of Christ Jesus. When you heard the gospel reading a few moments ago, that profound moment of change in Peter and Andrew's life in Mark chapter 1, as they were called from being fishermen into the work of fishing for people, I wonder if you heard, built into that story, an invitation I will send you out to fish for people. Yeah, you'll still catch fish, but built into your labors is a new labor, a labor of love. The voice of God calling Andrew and Peter, that voice by which the light came into the universe when God said, let there be light, breaks forth. Into whatever depths of stuckness that Andrew and Peter were experiencing, that voice that crosses cultures to every layer of existence and experience, that voice that is marvelously ordering and vivifying all it touches, that voice that is not stopping until it reaches the inner recesses of the human heart. At that voice, the water, the nets, the boat, their hands, their own clothes, were different, though the same. They were newly imbued with meaning and purpose, the original meaning and purpose of the universe love. The call to love is the most freeing call of all. It's what we most deeply long for, is it not? Because we are made from love for love. But we're so encumbered by our own fears, by our weaknesses, by our limited capacities, by our doubts, by the things that have hurt us over time, by our traumas, by our wounds and scars. But then God walks into the Peter and Andrew's life. He says, come with me, I will make you. <laughs> this is the maker God. The God who made us will again make us. <laughs> the living word is spoken. God came walking into Peter and Andrew's life. God came walking into Patrick's life and into his very dreams. God comes walking into your and my life. One commentator I read on this passage was reminded of God walking in the garden. What Adam and Eve had lost by their own choice, that sense of freedom with God, of being known and loved experiencing and extending love, what Adam and Eve had lost by their own choice, Peter and Andrew regained by their choice, following Jesus and with him, setting others free too. Do you hear the invitation for you? There's a quote at the front of your order of worship. It's by Toni Morrison. And she writes, yeah, you can turn there if you want. We can read it together helpful to see it. She writes this, the function of freedom is to free someone else. The function of freedom is to free someone else. Here Jesus is saying that you are fishing people, fishing for people, drawing them out, drawing them out of waters. Water in the Bible is a symbol for death. Psalm 18 and 144 are helpful. And and we are being invited to this day to be a part of the undoing of what Satan did all those years ago in the garden. All those years ago when death was introduced into human experience. When love was lost. When freedom became enslavement in its many, many forms today. The function of freedom to free someone else. We are not merely meant to passively receive freedom, but we are invited to join Jesus in extending it. The person who is set free from the waters of death becomes integral to other people's freedom. Friends, even this week uh, on an email chain, I was overhearing a conversation uh, previously and then got to understand more about the details. I won't share too much, but Uh, One friend's experience of Alcoholics Anonymous became another person's courage to enter back in to an uh, Alcoholics Anonymous program. My own inabilities to name my weaknesses uh, with friends when I was in college became uh, given a big boost of courage by getting to know people who were open about their own weaknesses and were willing to share them with me, seemingly with a sense of confidence that it was going to be okay if they did that. <laughs> there's, there's this sense in which we who have been drawn out are able to draw others out. We who are known are able to allow others to feel known. The function of freedom, friends, especially in regards to love, is to free someone else. In the time we have left, I would just love to lead you in a short meditation. If you guys want to use a pen or just simply... B, close your eyes, open your hands if you would like, to just really reflect on a place in which you feel stuck right now. And it could be a place that you feel stuck and need freedom. And as you imagine that situation, or maybe relationship, or maybe it's a habit. Once you imagine Jesus walking in on the scene, come and follow me. I will make you. Now I want you to think about a way in which Jesus is inviting you in the way that he is remaking you to a way of love, a lifestyle of love. How is he making you into somebody? Whatever the trade is, whether with Patrick it was shepherding other people, with Peter and Andrew it was fishing What is he calling you to do to extend love, to extend the freedom that you experience in the love of Jesus Christ? What is his invitation? Jesus, we thank you for the ways in which with you we can be free, truly ourselves. Thank you that you're safe. We thank you that in the way that you see us, you're unflinching in the way you love us. Even when you see the worst of us. Jesus, thank you that you, as our maker, are remaking us. Teach us to be those who extend the freedom that we know with you, that freedom, that ultimate freedom of being loved. Pray this not only for each of us to experience it, but also for the world, the city, our neighborhoods, our families, the blocks on which we live, the colleagues with whom we work, that they too would know what it is like to be loved, to be free with you. Lord, make it so. Amen.